0: Happy Friday, theatre lovers. Today's guest is the talented Henry Canino, and she reminds us that historically, theatre has been more than purely escapism and entertainment. It's a potential space for the marginalized to be represented and ultimately feel seen, as well as a format to inspire change and critical thought. We also talk about lifting other women up and fighting our own imposter syndrome, however difficult it may be. Henry is erudite, personable, and was just a delight to chat with. On with the show. So anyway, uh, welcome Henry Canino to Sarnia Famous. Um, I have butterflies. I can't even tell you. I am uh, very much starstruck by you, and um, cannot believe what? it took this long for me to convince you to have a chat with little old me. Um, yeah, I think um, I think you're great. Like you are. You're, you're you, you can do it all. You can act, you can direct, you can just, uh, yeah, very oh, st- starstruck by you. <laughs> so Thank you. So if I stumble and, and fangirl, uh, that is why <laughs> I'm not the most eloquent person to begin with. <laughs> well, so. neither am I, so <laughs> <laughs> this should be fun. So we'll do well. We'll do well together. <laughs> so um, the first thing I, I, I like to say usually is, is how, if, If I've worked with someone before and uh, with you, we just had a little tiny, little tiny Mm -hmm. time together with, uh, uh, I always want to call it the momologues. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Motherhood out loud. Um, And we only got, I think for myself, I was only there for one or two rehearsals and then the COVID got us. It was short and sweet, Like we just started, yeah, and Mm -hmm. it's sad, it's a great script,
1: and it would have been so much fun to work with everybody, and yeah, COVID got us, and uh, I remember we had, I had scheduled like a couple of rehearsals the Saturday and Sunday, and it was Friday and I emailed like should I be doing this like it was just so surreal you know like I don't want to bring you guys into the building if you're on you know uncomfortable and then one of the actors who was a nurse said yeah I I won't even be able to make it you know because she knew things were changing so yeah it's sad that we didn't maybe one day yeah (laughs) we'll try
0: to do it there was talk of recording it at one point is that still yeah
1: it was supposed to be the last January like January just that just passed and of course then everything changed again because of Omicron. So I just kind of have given up on it until I can do it again. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's better for our heart, I think, to just put those things on a shelf until we can pick them up again. Your hair is growing back. I know, it's taking forever. (laughs) Yeah, especially I would think because it's so curly. Does it take a little longer?
1: Yeah, I think if it was straighter I'd look like I'd have long hair. It's just very curly. And yeah, I sh- well, after Fun Home, I, I'm assuming you mean because I cut my hair short for the role of mm-hmm. Allison in Fun Home. And then it started growing back after Fun Home was finished, which also, you know, we had to kind of cut short uh, because of COVID as, as far as going to festival with it. Um, but then in the summer, I just, I had all these different colors because I had dyed my hair darker for to try to look more like Allison. And it looked terrible. So I shaved. I was one of those people that just all or nothing, I shaved. Almost shaved it, you know, totally, but shaved it really short in the summer and it's taking forever to grow back. And I don't know if I did some damage that it's just just not growing as quickly as I'd like, you know. (laughs) I
0: I, I am hopelessly devoted to my hairs and it would be (laughs) I think it would have to be a, a very large sum of money. For me to even to cut it short so i i couldn't believe that and it it felt like the community was like i remember people being like oh, her hair in the audience when i saw the show i was like oh everybody is very invested in this in the curly I, locks
1: that's funny yeah I, I i guess it was one of my features about me i guess you know the long curly hair but you know years ago i directed a play called wit and Megan Hadley took the lead and the character Vivian Baring is this professor who is going through cancer and Megan I mean she set the precedent for art she shaved all her hair off like a lot of actors I guess put on the cap you Mm -hmm. know the bald cap so I remember when she does she goes well that's the that's the easiest thing about taking on this role (laughs) it's just shaving your head she goes it'll grow back so yeah I think when there's a role that you love you know it's just hair (laughs) And, and i I was so lucky to play allison so yeah
0: I, I I would do it all over again if I ever had to you know so yeah. it was the connection to that role that made you feel confident enough to to shed those locks
1: yeah um I, you know people talk about a bucket list of roles you know what's your bucket list and I've been pretty lucky i I had two, really. One, I always wanted to play Diana Goodman in Next to Normal ever since I saw the play in New York, and I got to play Diana, and then Alison Bechtel because I saw Fun Home in New York, and I couldn't believe I was going to have an opportunity when I auditioned about the role. It's like, yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat
0: because there are just some roles that are just so important, you know? Huh. Well, that that's inspiring, and I um, I don't want to hope for it. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't want (laughs) to lie. I don't want it to be dumped in my lap, and then I have to choose between the role and my hairs because I really (laughs) like them. I don't go looking for roles that I have to do. (laughs) It just happen to be that way. (laughs) Um, Are there any other roles then on that bucket list that you're still hoping to do someday? You know, I I tried because I know
1: you ask. I listened to a few, not all of your um, podcasts, and I know you ask people that, and I couldn't think of anything i think it just happens like if i go see a show and there's a great you know strong female character then i might say oh that would be a great role to play and then it's like just been lucky that like with next to normal that was diversion entertainment that put that on so i was just lucky that I saw the audition notice I'm like no way and and you always think there's no way I'll get the role you know but you put your everything into the audition and you do the work and I just got lucky so yeah but I I don't I can't think of anything like one day some I'll go see something else and probably that'll happen but I have nothing in my head right now
0: (laughs) uh what about directing
1: oh I have yeah lots (laughs) I couldn't even there's so many things I want to direct. I read scripts that's what I do like people have hobbies, yeah, theater is my hobby, but also just reading, and uh, not only books, but scripts, and I love reading scripts, so I probably have a huge list, like, I'll read a play and go, that would be interesting to do, and, and I tend to, uh, I guess maybe I'm becoming known for this, I, I seem to be attracted to scripts that make the vulnerable visible, like plays that give a voice to unspoken narratives, and that you may not see otherwise, and, um, sometimes, and So I have over the years been kind of the person who pushes that onto the poor play reading committee. Um, But it's a struggle to get these plays passed sometimes because there are a lot of people who think that our audiences only want to be entertained, you know, just... And and escapism. And and yes, I agree with that. There is a place for pure escapism. I love it. (laughs) But it's nice to be able to do at least one play a year that's provocative or challenging for the actors and, and the audience. And sometimes you can reach just like a small handful of people in the audience even if you just reached a small handful who feel you know somewhat enlightened afterwards or you know about a certain subject then you I feel like you've done your part I think we often forget that theater was created to evoke change in many ways you know like the Greek plays back in you know the beginning of theater plays like the Trojan Woman was an advertisement you know to well more of a an advisement to the Greeks to not entertain the idea of civil war. And, you know, Shakespeare's histories were often entrenched in the political goings-on, you know, of England at the time. And, and you know, the crucible by Arthur Miller was against McCarthyism. You know, we forget that theatre can do that, you know, can really help change minds. And I love that. <laughs> and also sometimes it just helps artists or people, it helps you cope, you know, through making art, you know, not always for commercial sake, but just for, the, for art's sake and it it helps the community sometimes discuss and feel and process things and uh, yeah I I love that so I'm always trying to find a script like that if that makes sense (laughs)
0: Uh, that is amazing Uh, that's absolutely amazing and I think um for those groups that maybe aren't as visible in our society if they are sitting in the audience that can be very powerful to to mm -hmm. feel seen on stage You know, and something that perhaps we take for granted if we have a lot of representations that are similar to ourselves in social media and theater and all of those kinds of things. If you don't have that representation, like I can't imagine, I think that would be very difficult. So I applaud that. We need that. And I think that it's perfect in this world because there seems to be a lot of change happening right now. Society seems almost more ready for changes awesome.
1: i have a feeling there's tons being written right now with, oh, with yeah. what we're on and that happens so you see that pattern over time in, in history of writing plays you know what was going on before that play was written you know um but i have a feeling there's lots of playwrights just digging in right now and that's why fun home i felt really lucky To be a part of that, you know, because, as you know, Alison Bechtel is a true story, right? You know, based on Alison Bechtel's uh, memoir about her relationship with her father growing up and her realization that she was gay and then finding out that he was gay, but that he couldn't, you know, admit that because, you know, in those days it's much harder for people to feel safe and secure in coming out. I mean, it still can be today, Mm -hmm. but it's better. And because of people like Alison who write these stories, you know, so your representation is so important. And, And the play was... Was so beautifully written and the music was so wonderful. And the metaphor is used, uh, especially the image, I, mean, I think we even used it in the poster of the father playing airplane with her when she was younger, you know. The image of her soaring through the air, you know, it's sort of, you know, Alison gets launched by her father. And because of that, she's able to go on and do something he wasn't able to do. And I just think, you know, and she becomes this terrific cartoonist, which and some of it political, which was her way of making sense of the world. So, yeah, we just had an amazing time and we were so lucky to be able to put on a show like that. And I'm sure we've had we had people in the audience that could relate to. Whether you were gay or not, you could relate to the relationship with parents, with the relationship of trying to be authentically you. And, you know, just loved being a part of that. And Holly really, Holly Wenning, the director, she really encouraged us to go deep and talk about our characters. We did a lot of that. You know, she gave us the space and, you know, we, we could sit around the table and just discuss our motivations and our needs and, you know, what the character was doing. And I did, I think I did more research with this character, Allison, than any other partly because there was a lot to cull from because it's a true story, but also all the literary references in the book. And um, there's lots to spring from and it and sent me down these wormholes. Like I also read her memoir on her mother and uh, yeah, it was just so eye opening. And I think it was probably one of the better experiences that I had as, as far as digging into
0: your role. I, uh, I'm wondering, you're, you're, you have to be correct, especially with the amount of time people spent in their own homes, uh, you know, isolated from everything. There has to be a lot of of literature coming out. Where do you find plays to read?
1: Oh, so I, oh, many places, but I I mean, if you look online and you look at what other theatres are doing, I mean, obviously, we couldn't, we weren't really out there going to see theatre. But over the years, yeah, definitely going to see theatre. There's lots of little independent theatres in Toronto and, uh, you know, like Crow's Theatre in Toronto, Buddies in Bad Times. Um, they, they put on the shows that you probably won't see at your community theatre, you know. So going to see those really helps. And then I oftentimes then you just right away order the script, you know, or sometimes the scripts are there for sale. But I look online, I look, I just look at some, the, the synopsis of plays. And if something kind of, can if I connect with the with the synopsis, this then I might try it I probably spend too much money on doing this <laughs> but uh, but but I have all oh, the plays I have directed over the years I found through doing that so you just have to keep searching like a lot of times like we'll put on one act festivals that are at our theater to help new directors And I find a lot of them are like, well, I don't know what to do. It's because they're not really looking. And so I have shelves of scripts that I'll give out, you know, try this, try that. So it's kind of, I don't know, I feel like I'm helpful that way. I try to be because it is hard to, you know, find uh, good scripts. So you just got to keep looking.
0: (laughs) I I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a librarian. And so that's not something that we really have, at least in my experience, which is somewhat limited but finding scripts in the library is not as easy as finding fiction and it 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 hadn't occurred to me honestly until talking to you about it and the fact that you like to read them that why don't we have them in libraries because that would be if i were advising someone to look for for new scripts to read i would immediately think of the library even bookstores it's hard to find them in bookstores there was
1: the theater bookstore in toronto that everybody went to and then it closed down a few years ago and i was so sad because every trip i made to toronto i made sure i went to the theater bookstore because it was shelves of of scripts and so that was my you know even if it was once a year i'd bring back 10 scripts you know so it's sad to see that it is it is hard to access you know good
0: scripts so you just have to order them online (laughs) yeah is there like an amazon equivalent (laughs) to script purchasing or is Amazon a good re- Like, I'm just curious now. There's not one place, no. You just, if you see
1: an ad for, uh, you know, if you, I do, going on Instagram and going on Facebook, I follow probably nearly every theater I can and then mm. when you see their playbill and you're like, I don't know that play. Mm. So then you go from there and you look it up and then you just try to you go through their publisher most of the time. Sometimes Amazon.ca will have them. And I've been doing a lot of just getting eBooks so I can... I, I, can, I have no patience waiting for that script to come, so I'll, <laughs> I'll just order my Kindle. And so I have a ton of plays on my Kindle, too. So, yeah. It, but it's something I love. I don't expect everybody to do this, but I feel like maybe... Because I'm, I'm actually chair of the Play Reading Committee, too, it's helpful because I can
0: bring plays forward. So
1: I see it as a job.
0: <laughs> a fun job. So then, um, going back to fun home you had just said that you talked to other actors i think it was about character development how did Mm -hmm. that how did that how was that structured like was it kind of a round table or did you guys meet privately um
1: no holly was great at saying okay this next rehearsal she would give us questions ahead of time to think about and then we yeah we would sit around a table and, and discuss it and then go on and do the scene it's great to do the work before you're about to uh, act out the scene because it gives you a lot to pull from. I don't remember all, you know, exactly how we went about it, but the cast and crew the, and, and the cast in particular, Shane Davis and and Chloe and Jack and you know, we were open to it, so we loved sitting around talking about. Well, why do you think he's saying that? Why is she doing this? And if you can, I think sometimes when you're in. A musical there isn't a lot of time for that and so when you do a musical like fun home that is almost like a cross between a, a a meaty you know play with substance but actually has music you have to sit down and do that work it can't just be all about the blocking and the mu- you know music and the dancing that you have to sit down and, and discuss it it just gives it more depth
0: yeah but yeah that, like obviously my experience is very limited with the theater stuff but that's how kind of how i see rehearsals you go in with your lines memorized and you do the scene over and over and over again until it becomes natural. But it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense, especially in a play that has emotional depth, to dig deep on those characters. And then it would enrich, I'm assuming, it would enrich other people's response to your character, having those discussions. What kinds of questions did she ask you guys to cultivate that
1: i think i'm one of those people that when i'm done with that play and i moved on to another one i tend to forget a lot (laughs) so sorry about that i forget all i'd have to look in my notes because i keep notes but i'd have to look in all the notes you know
0: that's fair especially if you're reading plays too like you only have as much room in your brain as. but yeah so fun home that so you were saying too that you guys were supposed to go to festival with that one but it got cut short were you able to go at all like i thought it was big award-winning show so yeah that's interesting
1: so what with festival you have a traveling adjudicator who goes to see many plays throughout western ontario with the, with wdl and you can win out of festival awards uh so you might not even be moving on but you could you know especially there's like best juvenile i think your set can win out of festival awards and so on what if you, if you haven't entered if you do enter then you're limited on what you can win outside of the festival itself But we were chosen, there's five plays then that move on to the next level, so sort of like the semifinals, and we were chosen to be one of the five. And then because of COVID, they had to cancel festival altogether. I guess then they went to Mark Mooney, who was our traveling adjudicator, they went to him and said, if you were going to be giving awards like as if that it was, you know, as if you could pick awards when it was going to be in festival, what would you do? And he sort of gave, well, here's who I would have picked, you know, so... I don't know if anybody's even going to get anything, you know, or, I don't, there won't be a trophy or anything like that. But he just, so yeah, it looked like we won a ton of awards, but I think it was just Mark going this, here's who I would have given an award to, I think. Okay. I'm not sure because there hasn't been a lot of, you know, everything just went kaput, you know, and there hasn't yeah. been a lot of discussion about it. The, the awards are just a bonus. The best thing about festival, I love going to, I've learned most of my learning. I think really of directing was through the adjudications. What they do is you go for the whole week if you can. I was lucky as a teacher, we had March break and festival always fell during March break. And I would go to, so every night is a different play. And the next day you have an adjudication for that play that just performed. And I wrote copious notes. Everything the adjudicator said I would write down because I wanted to learn, learn, learn. I still want to learn. I have major imposter syndrome and I just always want to get better and better. And you learn so much and sometimes they have workshops. So the whole week is full of learning. The awards are a bonus and they're fun. You know, you have the ball on Saturday night, like a a banquet with the awards. That's fun, but connecting with other peers and other cities and, and watching how they do things, you just learn so much. I love festivals for that reason. And if you win an award, it's a bonus, but it shouldn't mean everything because it is only one person's opinion. You know, you can win an award at WODL and then you move on to Theatre Ontario, which is unfortunately now defunct, but you could move on to the next level, the finals at Theatre Ontario. And the adjudicator hates your play, doesn't hate, but it, it, it's, you know, it's so subjective. It, it's not even something probably we should be competing with because theater is so subjective. But I go because you learn so much from, you know, there, there are a lot of them that are adjudicators are professors at universities. They teach this, you know, at the university. So just try to glean everything that they say. And, and, and if it works for you, you know, then you've learned something. So, yeah, the awards are just a bonus but i wouldn't take stock in the awards <laughs> as much as some people do some people get very upset if they don't get nominated and i'm like it's so subjective don't worry about it that's but yeah that's
0: really a good point so the nerd in me is like wait workshops so in order oh, to yeah. to go to the workshops do you need to be in a play that was nominated no, or are they open no, that's great. they're open yeah ah. bring your notepad and and sometimes you get up and they have you act and oh it's
1: so oh, much fun. you would love it
0: yeah. Right. Oh, okay. That was a very good nugget for me to have in my little brain because <laughs> I love learning and uh, I don't know Same squat here. about theater stuff really. So I would love to learn more.
1: So the next festival, uh, actually tomorrow we have the WODL AGM and going to attend through Zoom. And they'll be discussing what, what's going to happen going forward. So the next festival where they're actually going to have a traveling adjudicator could be 23, 24. I'm not sure. I'll find out tomorrow. Because it's a lot of work. So the, the host theater, we've hosted. Sarnia has hosted festivals before. It's a lot of work. But I know they don't really have one lined up until 23, 24. And it's in the Bank Theater in Leanington is going to host festival. So I'll I'll let you know. Because I think if you can go to see some of the festival shows you'll love it. And yeah, there'll be workshops and things like that. So, but yeah,
0: it's it, because of COVID it's been put on hold for a while, but I'll let you know. Please do. Um, uh, if you think of me, that'd be amazing. So it's the AGM meeting. So do you, are you going, uh, you said so many things just now and I was trying to write that all down because <laughs> I was like, ah, this is wonderful. Um, so you're going to the AGM meeting. Does that mean that you Tomorrow. have a posi- position within the festival?
1: Well, there's, I used to be one of the VP reps for uh, Lanton County as your representative of Windsor, Sarnia, Chatham. And so I used to be on the board there uh, at WDL. But now you can, even if you're not, I, I kind of, um, I did that for a while and then I, you know, it was a lot of traveling, so I stopped. But you can go, if, you're, if your theater that you belong to is in good standing membership with the WDL, I think you can go on to Zoom, I'm pretty sure, and and listen. Um, I might not be able to talk because I'm not, you know, a delegate anymore or anything. But yeah, I think I just get to listen. So, I mean, I don't know enough about it, so, you know, I don't think I'll be able to talk. But yeah, I'm excited. to have what. I think they're going to be changing how they're going to do festival, and they want input from everybody. They they sent out a survey, like, do they still want five plays in the week of March break, or are they going to move it now that Theatre Ontario is finished, are they going to move it to May? Because in May is when that the finals were. Now that Cedar Ontario is gone, will WDL move their festival to May when the weather is good? Because a lot of times we were driving back from festival in storms, you know. Uh, Um,
0: (laughs) So we'll find out a lot tomorrow you know, what that's going to look like. That's super cool. Kind of have a finger on the pulse of the next (laughs) steps. That's super neat. Yeah. Um, So then the the next thing that I really really wanted to talk to you about was Girls. I'd seen that play. Yeah, I saw that play as well. And it was like a visual extravaganza. All of those kids were so flippin' talented. Uh, like, I was moved. I was entertained. And I, I was, I was curious about how, like the, st- everything, <laughs> the set, and, you know, um, all of the girls were using accents, I believe. And
1: yeah, uh, London accents. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, I, am wondering, like, did was there voice coaching? Like, tell me everything, please. All the things. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah the, the a
1: lot of them because i said at the before i had the auditions i said that i think i said something like the director encourages you to show me show her what accent you can do and that boy did they do the work they showed up at the auditions with accents that were well i don't have to work with her anymore with it an, i like and one of them like Chloe, said well i've been watching harry potter all my life so <laughs> <laughs> she was saying it came naturally uh, I got so lucky. Let let me go back. Like, that play, so because I read a lot of plays, I remember reading that play on an airplane. I was going to visit my daughter in Labrador, and my husband was with me, and I started crying at the end of the play. And he's like, what's wrong? I said, I I couldn't even talk. I just, I could relate to those characters in that script so much. You know, their fight for survival in the terrain of high school, and, and all the anxiety and disconnection and powerlessness, you know, that many girls and boys go through when, you know, dealing with expectations of society. And the play itself was roughly based based on a true story. Amanda Todd, a 15-year-old Canadian girl who was blackmailed into showing somebody her breasts mm-hmm. on a webcam. And the image went viral. Oh, and she was subjected to horrific bullying from her peers. And so it wasn't what, you know, what happened to her was much bigger than the person who took the picture. It was the reaction of her peers and how she was just torn apart. And I was interested in that play and like where does that shame come from for the female body right and all the double standards and that play like i read it and i could just relate to so much i and when a play does affects me that much i'm like can i do this play can i direct this you know one of the most poignant lines in the plays when one of the characters says to herself i want to say And I'm not going to do the accent. (laughs) I want to say it doesn't make sense. I want to ask about the space in between. Because she's a prick tease if she didn't. And she'd be a slut if she did. So how do you get to the space in between? And just that type of writing. I I just really wanted the play to create conversations. you know. And and I was so blessed to have, like you said, to have that cast and the crew i mean what ian did with the projections you know i told him what colors or i told him what i wanted and he just does it you know he's amazing and the commitment and brain entangling memory work those girls had to do it was just phenomenal they never left the stage the only one that left the stage was julie who played scarlet right and then of course i the play was actually one big one act it was 120 minutes and no break and i said i can't do that so i found a spot where we could Make an intermission, and I asked the playwright if we could do that, and he said, "Yeah, go ahead." I mean, where they they had to push all those boxes around; they're creating the set pieces as they're moving. It was like a puzzle piece, and then working with Jackie Burns and her choreography, and it, it gave such meaning, you know, to the context of the story. So it's yeah, it's just one of those shows I'm really proud to have brought to fruition. And like at the end, we we decided to put out post-it notes in the lobby in case people needed to talk, because at a play like that, people sometimes just want to talk. And I said, "Well, have." post-it notes where they can just put their comments and we put them up and we got a lot of profound comments out of that and people who said that they it was like watching high school all over again and what that was like and I, I'm sorry to gush I just no I please do so happy to catch- that one I'm just so happy with it yeah and the cast and crew were amazing it's
0: like high school was a nightmare for me so I definitely resonated and in so many ways plus social media wasn't a big thing when I was a kid and I feel like it's Mm. such a huge hurdle for kids nowadays and it just it intensifies all of those things that you would already be going through but now it's all over the internet So yeah, definitely hit home. I got chills when you read that quote, because I remember it. And I don't have a very good memory at all. But as you were saying it, it was like, yeah, I remember that being said and how poignant it is and how just about anybody can relate to it in some way. And please gush, that's what this show is all about, in my opinion. I love when people nerd out about things that they're passionate about. It's it's definitely a driving force behind getting to chat with everybody. So if you've got more, let me have it. Well, that's what I love about your podcast. I'm listening to Kate. Like I
1: think I told you, listening to Kate Hardy, listening to, you know, I I knew Kate. I, I, you know, directed her. I had her as a student in my drama class in high school, but I found out so much more about her when I listened to your podcast. I'm like, oh, Kate, I didn't know you did that. And, and, And just so you know. That has been the impetus to get Kate to direct for us. So I I wrote to her after listening to your podcast. I said, Kate, why aren't you directing? Because I listened to how she talked about discussing characterization. And she goes, well, actually, I'd love to. And I have ideas. I said, okay, well, do you mind if I pencil you into the play reading committee to maybe find a play for you or for you to propose? And she's, like, she's gung-ho. So, like, if it wasn't for your podcast... because oh always God. need new directors yeah. i'm
0: gonna burst into tears like i feel so <laughs> proud even though i really have nothing to do with it i like just gave her a place to chat oh that's so wonderful i'm gonna have to message but, her yeah, passion like you can hear the passion <sighs> yeah she was great she was so nervous and I, it, it's something i believe so strongly in lifting other women up we are taught to yes to compete against each other, to hold grudges, all of that garbage. But I just, I think it's its so powerful when women support women. And mm-hmm. I have zero confidence uh, at all. But in doing this podcast and seeing all of these super powerful, talented women like yourself, like Kate, who are like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can do the podcast. what What do I have to offer? Like so much, so much. Uh, you know, the fellas are like, yeah, sure, whatever. What time when do, you, when do you need me to be there? No big deal. Whereas I would say like eight out of 10 women are so self-conscious and it's, it's terrible, but it's actually been therapy for me because I'm going, wait a minute, if all of these other talented ladies are self-conscious, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be so self-conscious if I'm telling them not to be, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's come around.
1: Like when you asked me, I used Ireland as an excuse to not do this podcast. <laughs> well, I'm in Ireland. I can't do that. And oh. because I was so scared. And yeah, it, why do we do that? I don't like, I, I really do have major imposter syndrome. Like what the hell do I know? But it also keeps me on my toes. Like learning 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 because you you have to if you get complacent and not grow and learn like i i'm always trying to challenge myself but yeah why are we like that like i was scared to death but you're right you do put
0: you've you've made me feel at ease (laughs) so i
1: feel a little better now
0: (laughs) and and little did you know when you said oh i'm in ireland maybe we can try again in a few months little did you know how tenacious i can be like okay i've got my eye on you this gonna happen this is gonna happen i appreciate it (laughs) <laughs> but that's actually a beautiful segue to, because I, I wanted to talk to you about Ireland. Definitely a place I've only gotten to go once. I went with my grandmother. My grandmother's family is from Ireland. But yeah, do you, do you mind talking about that trip? Because that was a couple months and like what a, a great way to break that pandemic funk provided you're yeah. going for a a, a a vacation which i shouldn't assume
1: tell you, like my whole family Shumari, my brother and sister were born in dublin my mom and dad and all my cousins in fact i was the only canadian in the 1970s you know i was the only canadian in my entire huge irish family and i've gone back there several times you know because that's why i still have family there but no we were there in 2019 we we brought our family we kind of rented an airbnb and we brought a bunch of family and i just fell in love all over again like it is probably one of the most beautiful countries out there and frank and i were talking like we're both retired now we're very grateful to be in a place where we could do this you can buy apartments there at the time anyway fairly cheap and we thought what if we got a little two-bedroom apartment in ireland that we could then go there once a year and, and a family could go you know and so we did that We ended up buying a place in Donegal, which it's funny because I knew mostly the southern part of Ireland, like down near Dingle and Galway and then down near Cork and then, of course, Dublin. And I didn't really know Donegal, but we found a great apartment right on the ocean and we thought, this is a good price, let's do it, you know. And it's about half an hour from Sligo, which is you know a decent-sized city. So we we bought a place in Bundoran. It's the surfing capital of Ireland. Which is so funny, <laughs> but they are there are people. You're watching from the balcony. There's people surfing. The waves are great. And we stayed there. We were supposed to stay there five months, but we did only four because we started missing everybody at Christmas. And so yeah, it was it was yeah a vacation. But we're hoping to do it you know every year go for a few months. So it's kind of a second home now, mm. and uh, we're very grateful. And it is Donegal is actually. The county of Donegal is probably more beautiful than I could have imagined. There was something to see every day, like you just go for little trips, you know, and uh, yeah. So yeah, very
0: lucky. So then being connected to Ireland, what is theatre like? in ireland is it is something that you've ever been involved in directly there or do you guys go to shows or what what does that look like to you
1: yeah you know uh not enough and it's funny because that's what i did i went on facebook and went where are all the local community theaters uh i thought well maybe one day i could try out for a play but you know with with covid it was you know not happening but we did go see a play in sligo and it was a a really short little maybe a 60 minute play and it was about the pandemic and it was based on interviews with real people in Ireland it was really interesting and of course you know me I'm like could I get the script for that could I uh (laughs) change that to Canada could we do you know but um no I didn't do that but so it was nice to be in a theater again this is when the theater just opened up again and then of course it closed afterwards but no not enough I think because theatre is such a big part of my world here whenever I've gone to Ireland it's just been to see nature I love you know the mountains and and the castles and yeah so not enough
0: but going forward definitely I'll be checking out more theatre yeah if you're going to spend that that amount of time there why not I'm just Mm -hmm. very curious so then this actually just made me think of uh, Dave Evans and he was talking about his whole family being from Ireland and how his experience of being storytellers or um, entertainers he he felt like and dave if you're listening to this i'm so sorry if i butcher this um altogether <laughs> but how that 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 storytelling theatrical side of himself he believed came from his irish heritage do you have that same yeah. kind of feeling
1: i i do i my dad tells the greatest stories it's the way they tell their stories. it's just so funny i mean it, it's true i grew up in a family that every party someone brought out the tin whistle the guitar the spoons if you, even if you if you know frank brennan he'll say the same thing and he's from newfoundland but very similar Somewhere. right to art and he does come his ancestors come from ireland so yeah storytelling music yeah i i agree with dave i think there is something there and i've known dave since elementary school we did uh, i think we did oliver together oh, and really? you know all the old all elementary school plays yeah we're the same age and uh, so I've known Dave a long
0: time and yeah,
1: from Belfast and uh, he's such a great guy.
0: <laughs> he is. I was, he, oh my gosh, like two minutes into the interview, I was sobbing and I was trying to hide it because I was trying to be all professional and let him tell his tale. And then he's like, are you crying? Like, <laughs> but yeah, it, so you mentioned your dad being a, an excellent storyteller. Is there anyone else in your family that has taken to theater like yourself?
1: You know, it's funny. I was the first my parents,
0: I was lucky to have immigrant parents because, you know, they
1: only went to grade six and then they had to work, you know, and then when they immigrated to Canada, it was like, let's give our kids every opportunity, you know, immigrant experience, right? So I was in, you know, guitar, violin, we had to recite poetry, he brought us to everything, music, 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 but theater was not his thing. And when I joined the theater, I was the first. And I think he was scared of, you know, he heard about, you know, some stories about people in the theater. You know, there's there's some stereotypes. And he didn't want me to do that. But I took to it. Like, once I, I think I was 15, when Gord Bristow, my drama teacher at St. Pat's, said, you know, you should try out for Theatre Sarnia. And I, so I joined Theatre Sarnia when I was 15. And I've been, in 2025, I'll be 40 years with Theatre Sarnia, which is crazy. But I I was the only one as far as theatre. Now, now I have to say, my kids, though, got the, you know, my son, Kian Porat, he was in Rock of Ages he was the lead with Liv Gogus and he was in Catch Me If You Can and so he loves it you know um and my daughter did it for a while and then she realized no I'm an introvert what the hell am I doing? <laughs> <Wait a minute>. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. So she doesn't do it as much <laughs> and then my granddaughter Bella was in the youth group and Tennyson was in Oliver. so it's nice to see you know moving on to the younger kids so yeah I but yeah, before me, there was, there was really no one else in the theater world. So
0: it's interesting because yeah. you said that you're the first Canadian and it, in my mind, I was like, Hmm, is it the Canadian influence that brought the theater part into your family? And now it's kind of extending down into your kids and stuff. And you're, you're so cute when you talk about your family too. Like you're, you're beaming when you're talking about I, all of the things that they've done. Life. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's so adorable. Yeah.
1: I don't know being canadian by the way i was a, i I should go back to because i want if my i know my biological mother's going to listen to this i was so my whole family's irish but we were, we were all adopted so my brother oh. and sister were adopted in dublin and then i was adopted in toronto huh. so but i mean i look irish right and then when i found my biological mother uh, i realized oh she's irish and scottish so like i fit in either family i fit yeah. in so yeah i have a good relationship with my biological mother yeah and so not only was i the first canadian in, in my family, but the first Canadian adopted person in the family. So so but then I found out my biological family are some of them were artists like visual artists. I know my biological mother did a lot of dance. So it comes both sides,
0: yeah. yeah. I'm lucky. Yeah, you weren't escaping that, were you <laughs> No. <laughs> so um believe it or not, but we are forty we are five done. minutes in. So um before I get launched on something, I noticed the time. Um, and I just wanted to give you an opportunity. So, like, we have 15 minutes, so you can tell me stories, more stories about plays that you're in, stuff that you're planning on doing, anything at all. Like, I am, I'm here for it. Please, gosh. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, I'm hoping to be directing
1: this fall. I can't say what it is, so we we don't announce the playbill. Well, it hasn't even been approved by the board yet. So, uh, as chair reading. Our, uh, play reading committee, we put forth a, uh, a play bill for next year. It goes to the production committee. They have to pass it. It passed that, and then it's gone to the board. And they're going. I, we find out at the end of February whether this season is going to pass and go ahead. And if, if it does, I'll be directing the opening show. I can't say much about it, but I'm excited. And uh, so I think we won't find out until in the middle of Something Rotten, which is coming this May. I think they announce it then. So I'm, I'm right in the middle of working on that because when you when you're directing you have to work way ahead right and so i'm working on that script i'm pulling it apart right now
0: you say the opening show roughly what time of year would that that be in so
1: the end of september beginning of october would be the opening we usually have yeah we usually have the opening it's usually a musical we open with that then the second play the second one is usually the end of october and that's usually a play or something quirky and then the christmas you know type show can be a big musical or a big christmas you know, play then we used to have our festival slot then would be next and that's where we would put in maybe a drama that was provocative you know um, but not always then there'd be like a comedy in April and then end with a big musical. And yeah, the next season playbill kind of covers a lot of that. And so I wish I could tell you. I know,
0: cool. I'm, I'm, I'm like yeah. listening so carefully and analyzing every single word. Like maybe I could figure it out. <laughs> I know. It's so exciting be a part, being a part of that process,
1: you know. So I'm hoping, I mean, if I, if I don't get to do it, I'll, I'll probably work on a, a, another show that goes for it. Like I'd, I'd love working backstage. I know that I'm possibly stage managing a show in that season too. And uh, yeah, so I'm always I love working backstage too. It's I wish more people did that. I wish I I think every actor should work backstage because it really gives you more respect for for the process. You know? Yeah. You see
0: that? Um, I am personally too terrified. I think like everything hinges on the people who are backstage, <laughs> and I have so much admiration and terror about that those roles that I don't know that I ever would, but I promise. That I have so much respect, and that is why. Terrified. I'm sure you do. Terrified. I never. It's
1: so sad that we didn't get to work together. Oh, I remember you at the audition for Motherhood Out Loud just making us laugh so much. It was perfect, you know, well, roles, because you were going to play many roles. You were perfect for that, you know? I think I even wrote to you and said, oh my God, you're so funny.
0: Thank you, you which I I remember that. I think I probably still have the email because I was like, oh my God, Henry said this about me. Um, It's such a good script. And um, anytime that I maybe pulled something funny off is based on feedback. And I remember like, just even watching you watch auditions was powerful and I feel like you were connecting with people who are auditioning and they were seeing tears in your eyes because it wasn't just a funny play or a collection of plays there were some major tear-jerking moments and yes like just oh like such a yes I really hope I verbal diarrhea-ing again but I really (laughs) hope that we do get a chance to do that play again it is so much fun to play a bunch of different parts and be a part of something without the pressure of you know the monologue or the the big role and and all that kind of stuff too so um all good things that script was so great because it gave
1: again voice to you know you think motherhood is all going to be about motherhood but there were so many different facets to parenthood really that play was you know you had the my favorite was the one with the um the boy who wanted to be esther for the uh for Purim, Pir- the the Jewish one. I don't know if you remember, I don't that. And, remember that part. Oh, it was, I cried my eyes out. Oh my gosh. Um, the boy wants to, like a lot of the little boys were dressing up as the king for the Purim, you know, um, service at the synagogue, but he wanted to be Esther, he wanted to wear a dress. Oh, and the gosh. mother, her reaction, it was just so beautiful. So there was that story. And then there was a story of a stepmother. And then there was a story of two gay men who had a surrogate. Like, there were so many different voices in motherhood out loud. And everybody probably thinks it's just going to be about, about mothers. But there was so much more to it. So I definitely have it on my list to do, I hope, one day, you know. And what, what was really sad is we had a lot of new actors try out. Oh. I'm like, where did you come from? Where did you come from? And I haven't seen them since. So I'm hoping that they try out for other things
0: in the meantime, you know. There hasn't really been a lot of, of opportunities um, true unless they're they're floating by me because i keep my eyes peeled and i didn't know i think i only knew what what i had been exposed to with that play based on the auditions i was present for and the the portions of the play that i was present for rehearsals for i had no idea about the male component for instance which yeah it sounds absolutely love lovely i kind of thought was it would not- be like a v- vagina monologues type mother predominantly there was, there
1: was that <laughs> yeah <laughs> But there's even one Nicholas Campbell was going to play the son with his elderly mother who had dementia and it was just heartwarming, beautiful little monologue. So it went from babies all the way to to the elderly and it would have had something for everyone. Like it's just one of those plays, you know, alas.
0: Uh, Well,
1: one day. Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm so excited to see what you pick for your show and I wish you could tell me but I understand that you can't we'd probably both be in trouble if you did so yeah thank you there aren't enough words to thank you thank you thank you for, for finally being convinced for honoring me in being here, but not only that, but listening to the show and being a supporter of it. It means a lot.
1: Thank you so much. No, thank you. I feel honored to be a part of this. So thank you.
0: Okay, well, a happy Saturday. Talk Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Okay, kids, that's all for today. Next week, the ever spunky and adorable Taylor Hartwick joins us. See you then.